So that comes from uh, the Gospel of John movie, which came out um, early 2000s. I remember I saw it in the theater, but it actually uses the Good News Bible and goes verse by verse through the Gospel of John. So I thought, you know, well, what better way to present these passages of Scripture to you than to uh, set up clips from that? So I'm sorry about the abrupt ending. It's just the way that I, I had it edited. Uh, Pastor Craig last week uh, delivered a masterful message overviewing the Gospel of John's presentation of John the Baptist. And so that's why I have to keep going back and forth and make sure you understand which John I'm referring to. In the in the film there, the fellow that uh, the camera kept cutting to that's got the, the little cap on, that's actually supposed to be John in the film. So as you continue to come to church and you're exposed to these clips, uh, I think that uh, that you will enjoy it. But I tell you the name of the of the movie because you might want to go out and get it. I think you can get it through uh, most of these, Amazon or uh, Apple or whoever, you know, wherever you get your, your film content. Um, you can get a hold of that and it will take you right through the gospel of John. Uh, again, it's, you know, it's not bells and whistles, super exciting, whatever, because it's literally reading the gospel of John verse by verse. Now there's actually two versions of the movie. One is shorter and edits John just a bit. Um, so it doesn't cover every verse, but the original is literally every verse in the gospel of John. So I've chosen to go ahead and look at John the Baptist once again today. Uh, Pastor Craig really focused on John's attitude uh, that is encapsulated in uh, John 3.30, which says he must become greater. This is John speaking, John the Baptist speaking of Jesus. And he says, he must become greater, I must become less and so that's a, a clarion call to humility for all of us who could see John as an example. I want to show you John the Baptist's ministry and message and how that applies to us. And I want you to evaluate this on two levels. I want you to evaluate it on a personal level and by extension, your immediate family, especially those of you that are parents, okay? Uh, compare John to me and my family are we doing what John is doing, right? And then I would also, on another level, like you to look at our church. Now, I'm going to tell you something that maybe nobody in this room knows, but some of you were with us uh, at the very beginning, and I might have shared this. Um, we had a building many years ago, early 2000s, in South Garland in the old Ridgewood Theater. Anybody remember the old Ridgewood Theater? Oh, it was lots of fun this time of year, wasn't it? It was freezing cold in there because after we got in, uh, we fixed the air conditioner and then we found out it had no heat. So it was real lots of fun. But everybody was young back then. And so, you know, we did just all sorts of crazy stuff in that building. But while we were in that building, uh, it's actually set up, if you've ever driven by it, it's behind the jack-in-the-box over there uh, at Kingsley and First. But if you've ever driven by it, it's right in, uh, it's set up along uh, in a strip center. It's like the big building at the end of the strip center. And so all along in those various uh, storefronts in the strip center, there were churches. Uh, the fellow that owned that was just renting to churches right and left. So we'd like this little church community over there. Well, there was a fellow one door down from us uh, his name was Brother Malone. Do you remember Brother Malone? Uh, and uh, he had a little Baptist church that was meeting in this building. And uh, he wanted us to do a revival with him. 
And so what he did is uh, he went around and he asked these different pastors in these different churches all around. And so he did this revival. And for those of you that don't know what a revival is, we all need revival, that's for sure. But a revival is a set of meetings usually to stir everybody up and get everybody going the right direction. And so I had the privilege of preaching on a Friday night. And when Brother Malone introduced me and our church, which at that time was called what? Zion. Zion. He said, I think that this church is a voice crying in the wilderness. And actually, he preached on Friday. I can't remember when I preached. But um, I remember he was, he was, in his sermon, he was going through uh, the account of John the Baptist in the wilderness, but from Mark's gospel. And in Mark's gospel, John baptizes Jesus. That is, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And it says, when Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit of God descending upon him as a dove and remaining on him. Now, in our gospel that we're covering now, John's gospel, that is how John clearly identifies that this is in fact the Messiah. Even though he knew it all along, even though we recognize uh, when we look at Luke's gospel that they were actually related. Sometimes they're called cousins, but we don't know what their actual relationship was, but they were family, okay? Nonetheless, it is that, that, uh, that, event of the Holy Spirit physically descending upon Jesus as a dove that set him apart. And John said, that, that is what God told me would be the sign that this is indeed the Messiah. Well, that verse that I just quoted from Mark is Mark 1.11. So for many years, when I see 1.11 on the clock, I'm reminded of all of that. I'm reminded that we need to be a John the Baptist congregation. I'm reminded that when you and I are in Christ, and I, you know, I'm obviously I'm I'm looking at me when I'm I'm you know seeing this because I need to know that God loves me and that that He favors me. That when you're in Christ, God also says to you, You are my beloved child. In you I am well pleased, because you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So it's a long introduction to try to familiarize you with why I think John the Baptist is important for you and for this congregation. I want our congregation to be a John the Baptist type of congregation. What do I mean by that? John's purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord. That's number one, if you're following along with an outline that I have here. And that comes directly out of the 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 text that is quoted comes directly out of Isaiah chapter 40. You saw in the the little clip uh, in the Gospel of John movie that they asked him who he was and he just quoted Isaiah. Now, Wednesday, I'll talk to you about why they were asking if he was Elijah or the prophet. I'm gonna talk about what that means. He clearly, that is John the Baptist, clearly said, I am not the Messiah. In fact, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. I'm not even worthy to, to untie the strap of his sandal. Well, that's what, that's what a slave would do. When you came into a house, it was a wealthier house, they would have a household servant or slave that was there and you would step up and they would untie your sandal and take it off. And then you would wash your feet before you went walking around inside the house. Um, because they didn't have shoes that had socks and were, were closed. Uh, they were walking around all day long out in the dust and the dirt. And so you would understand why that was a, a very uh, um, degrading thing if you could look at it in one way. 
But this is also why once we get to John 13, you're gonna see that that is the position that Jesus took with his own disciples. They came in and nobody, they, they were constantly arguing over who was the greatest. They did not have the John the Baptist, he must become greater, I must become less mentality until the other side of the cross. Constantly arguing who's the greatest. So none of them are willing to wash the, the, uh, the rest of the, the disciple band's feet. So here Jesus is, last supper with the disciples. And he takes off his outer garment, puts on a towel, and he washes their feet. John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to be that person, okay? And then he quoted this, that is John the Baptist, quoted from Isaiah chapter 40. He called himself a voice. This is John 40, verse three from the New American Standard Bible. The voice of one calling out, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and let the uneven ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He was preparing the way for the Lord. Now his message of preparation was one of repentance, right? He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we find that in the synoptic gospels. Uh, I've got it here in, uh, from Matthew 3, 2. Repent means to change your thinking and change your ways. Friends, our thinking is being shaped and molded by a Christless, at times antichrist culture. We fill our lives with so many forms of entertainment. We're receiving so many messages that are not biblical messages that do not prepare the way. In fact, they impede the way of the Lord. And so we have as much need of repentance as we have ever had. Even those of you that are faithful and you're sitting here this morning, those of you that have joined us online or listening to the podcast, and you're doing this because you, you want to connect with God. You want things to go the way they're supposed to go. And yet we're so receptive. We're so malleable and moldable to these other lifestyle ideas and choices and so forth. We are in need of repentance. If you want to know how to change your behavior, you change your thinking. If you change your thinking, your behavior follows. All right? And that's what this word that is translated repent means in Greek, all right? Metanoia, it just means to rethink. We need to go back, look at our lives, and we need to rethink. Right? Prepare means to repent of sin because that is the obstacle that stands in the way of us seeing, sensing, experiencing the glory of God and the fullness of Jesus in our lives. Uh, listen to this from Hebrews 12, 1. Um, we're coming directly out of the the uh, faith chapter in Hebrews 11, and then the writer to the Hebrews uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, these, these men and women of faith, right? Let us rid ourselves of every what? Obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the old preachers used to call these obstacles besetting sins, because in the old King James, it is the sin that so easily besets you. Well, a besetting sin, very simply, is a habitual sin. It could be an addiction. 
It could be something that you have a tendency to fall into again and again. We have to rid ourselves of those obstacles if we're going to see the glory of the Lord, if we're going to experience the fullness of Christ. So what I'm trying to help you understand, what I'm trying to drive home for me is we have as much need to rid ourselves of sin as we ever did coming to Christ, if you've indeed come to Christ for the first time. Um, So the question is, what is the sin that easily entangles you. I can tell you one for me, it's frustration. I would say anger, but it's really not so much anger as it is just frustration that things are not going the way I need them to go, right? Uh, This morning, and I have to find ways to manage the frustration. This morning, I turned the computer on and it just wasn't doing anything. Have you ever had that happen? It's just doing nothing. It's just a blank screen. And I just, I prayed. I was like, okay, Lord, I don't know what we're gonna do without this computer, you know? And I'm already making plans, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna leave that behind and I'm gonna go down here and do something else. And then I'm gonna climb back up, right? Frustration. And I can get frustrated over drivers. How many of you experience this? You're sitting at a light, the light turns. Two, three, four, five. Nobody's moving. Why aren't they moving? Because they're on that device. Because I got to finish sending next text, you know? And so I, I, I have a horn honk that's supposed to be not obnoxious. It's really hard on my horn though, because if you just go, it's not loud enough, right? So I got to hit it to where it's just loud enough to let them know, hey, the light changed, but not so loud and so long that they get mad and, you know, step out of their car and start doing other things, right? That's me, frustration. I don't know what your besetting sin would be, but that certainly is one of mine. John baptized people who received his message as a symbol of their repentance. Now, we are baptized in the name of Jesus, right? But it is still similar to John's baptism. Uh, I have a Bible study. In fact, I've printed several of them, if uh, somebody wants to get a hold of that, that talks about baptism and the purpose for baptism. But one of the reasons that we get baptized uh, is because Jesus commanded it. Jesus exemplified it. He was baptized by John. He didn't have any sins to be cleansed of or to repent of, but he did that so he would be the example for you and I. If you have not yet been baptized, you need to be baptized. You really, really do. It's prominent in scripture. Now, I'm not a preacher and we're not affiliated with a denomination that believes that baptism in water is necessary for you to get into heaven. But I'm gonna say this. If you haven't been baptized, and you have put your faith in Jesus, my question is, why not? It's his clear command. What is the fundamental confession of the Christian faith? There's three words. What is it? Jesus is Lord. What does Lord mean? You're saying who's in charge. So that means you do what Jesus says. Is that correct? So why not do what he said? He told his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've taught you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's his command. John the Baptist was baptizing people as a symbol of their repentance. Uh, This is Mark 1.4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So they weren't just going out and hearing a sermon and going home. They were going out with the intent of doing something to turn away from their sin. And baptism, they were accustomed to this idea of ceremonial washing. 
And so baptism to a degree is, symbolizes sin being washed away. Now, as we're gonna see in a minute, and I'll say clearly, the only way your sin is washed away actually is by the blood of Christ, is through Jesus, okay? But this symbolized that commitment that they had to turn away from sin and to come to God in repentance and have their sin forgiven and have their sin washed away. And guys, you know, we baptize here and I put a, I've got a stock tank that I put out here. I got the idea from these cowboy churches. I was like, oh, that's cool. We don't have a baptistry. I could use a stock tank, okay? And it's just big enough for you to sit in and then we put you down. When it's this time of year and it's cold, I, I talked to Larry Venable over at Freeman Heights and uh, he's been kind enough to let us use their actual baptistry, which is heated and, and so forth. But nonetheless, these folks were being baptized in the Jordan River, did you see the Gospel of John movie? Did you see the water that he was standing in? You're like, no, that's got parasites. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know, I guess you just got to trust the Lord with that. To this day, you can go to Israel and be baptized in the Jordan. Has anybody ever done that? All right, very cool. All right, a lot of people, a lot of people do. When they go there, they're like, no, 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 I got to I gotta get baptized in the Jordan, right? Um, nonetheless, baptize means immerse. Now, this is where denominations fall all over the place because um, baptism was believed to be necessary for salvation, for the removal of original sin and so forth in the Catholic church. So they started wanting to baptize infants. Well, they weren't gonna dunk an infant in the water. So that's when they started sprinkling. It makes it easier. Honestly, it would make it so much easier to baptize people if I could sprinkle or even do like the Methodists do and pour. It'd be so much easier but I'm not tempted to do it. Do you know why? Because I'm not about convenience. I understand what this word baptism means in Greek. You see, this is what happened. When the English versions were translated, they came to this word in Greek. Guess what the word is? It's baptizo. Say baptizo. What does that sound like? Sounds like baptize. Well, the, these Greek scholars that were translating the, the Greek New Testament into English realized that word means, what does it mean, Pastor Craig? It means to immerse. It was a word that was used when uh, in uh, an account of a Roman war, all right, when uh, ships were, were fighting out in the ocean and a ship was sunk. They used this word, baptizo. It was immersed, right? It was baptized in the water. It would represent somebody who uh, was washing a dish and you take the dish and you put it all the way under the water and you lift it up out of the water. That's what the word means. But rather than translate it with the word dunk or immerse, they said, no, we can't do that because nobody's doing that right now except for these crazy Anabaptists. So they just transliterated it. And that's why baptizo right? Sounds like baptize, right? It means to immerse. Now, this is going to be important in just a moment, um, uh, as you'll see, because it says that Jesus came to baptize in the Holy Spirit, right? John clearly pointed to Jesus as Lord. So he said that, quoting Isaiah, that he came to prepare the way for the Lord. But as you saw at the end of the, the Gospel of John clip, uh, the, the uh, account that is directly from John, once again, Jesus clearly recognized, uh, excuse me, John clearly recognized Jesus as the Lord. Um, here it is, John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming and coming to him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
You know what's amazing about that? Is John reveals something that the synoptic gospels do not, right? Um, I think after studying John this time, and I, I preached through John before, and I, well, I don't know, many years ago when we were just up the street, I preached through the gospel of John. But what I've noticed in studying John now is that um, although John is very different from the synoptic, synoptic just means they see the, the same thing from a similar angle, okay? Synoptic, same view, basically. If you've ever read through your Bible and you, you let's say you started in the New Testament and you're reading Matthew, and then you read Mark and you're like, hey, I just read all that. And then you get to Luke and you're like, hey, hey, I just read all that and read all that, right? But each of them is presenting virtually the same view, but there are, there are differences. Pastor Craig went through, I don't know how long you, you were in Matthew, lo- longer than a year. And he just finished Luke today. And there are differences, okay? <laughs> Did somebody snar- get snarky about that? Uh, just wait until you see how long we're going to be in John. It's going to be exciting. But I think that uh, John is not different. It's predicated on the knowledge of the synoptics. He simply chose to go a direction that they did not go. None of them went. Now, as we're going to see, John was the beloved disciple. That's how he identifies himself. He never, he never calls himself John in this text. Now, once again, I keep telling you this name John is confusing you. Now I'm talking about John, the writer of the gospel, not John the Baptist. John, the writer of the gospel, was the youngest disciple, later apostle, and he was also likely the one who was the closest to Jesus. As I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, uh, in the text here, when it says that Jesus, the only begotten God, is in the bosom of the Father, The word that is used there, kolpos, is the same word that is used when John was at the Last Supper table, same place where Jesus washed their feet, and he was leaning against Jesus' chest. He was in that position of closeness. That's the kind of relationship that John had with Jesus. Further, John was probably written last of all these. Now, not everybody thinks that. I was reading Craig Keener's commentary on this, and he thinks that John was written earlier than many people think. But most other scholars that I've read believe John was written somewhere in the 90s. The other, all of the other disciples were were martyred by then. They had all been uh, killed by that time for their faith. John was the only one left. And uh, he probably wrote this during a time of incredible persecution of Christians uh, in the Roman Empire uh, under uh, the emperor Domitian. Um, nonetheless, all of those details are the things that I bring out on Wednesday, and I'm, I'm belaboring the point here because I'm just trying to focus on something. The thing that is amazing to me looking at John is, um, looking at the gospel of John is, that when the baptizer preaches in the synoptics, he just says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right? That's his message. And then, you know, they'll ask him, well, what should we do differently? And he tells the Roman soldiers, don't intimidate people. And he tells the tax collectors, don't collect more than you're supposed to collect. He just tells people, you need to straighten up, folks. You need to straighten up. Your ways are crooked. That's what it means to make straight paths for him. You need to straighten up. But here in John, the gospel of John, the Baptist clearly points to Jesus as the Lord, the Messiah, But you need to understand something. Most people, perhaps everyone except 
as we see John here, thought that Messiah would come to deliver Israel from Roman domination, right? It would be, you know, like a, a, a nation, you know, China is, is trying to flex its muscles these days, okay? You know, I don't know if you saw the drama about the, the Chinese spy balloon flying over the United States, you know, and our officials going, well, I don't know, what do you do? What do you think we should do? I don't know, what do you think we should do? You know, and you got the conservatives saying, shoot it down, right? Well, imagine a time, and I pray it doesn't ever happen, but I have been saying for years that China is the aggressor we need to worry about. Imagine a time when China attains world domination. And we here in the United States, rather than being the only superpower, come under their domination, right? Instead of our currency, it's their currency ruling the world. The Chinese Communist Party is very anti-Christian. They start doing what they're doing in China. You can only go to a state-sponsored church, a church that is willing to uh, give its allegiance to Marxism in the state and so forth. Wouldn't we be crying out to be delivered from that? You know, unhook us from this. Let, let us be free again. The nation of Israel recognized the time when they were free and they had had a series of deliverers that had come at various times. The Messiah was the ultimate deliverer, right? He would set them free from Roman domination. Guess what? That's not what Jesus came to do the first time. He came to set us free from sin, amen? And John recognizes it. We see here, that certainly John was a prophet, Right? He's the last great prophet from the Old Testament, even though he is written about in the New Testament. He concludes that period of time. And he points to Jesus not only as Messiah, not only as Lord, he points to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is recognition that Jesus is going to sacrifice himself all the way here in John chapter one. That's who he's pointing to. Well, once again, we got this far in the, the little video clip there. Uh, you saw Jesus coming up and John pointing to him. And um, that was what he was there to do. Prepare the way for the Lord. There's the Lord. He's the Lamb of God that's gonna take away the sin of the world. So once again, only Jesus can take away our sins. I, I said a good bit about baptism earlier, but I want you to understand baptism doesn't wash away sins. Baptism is just a public affirmation of your faith. It's a public act by which, through which you confess your faith. But only through Jesus can you be forgiven of sin. Jesus is the one who died on the cross for your sins and shed his blood. Jesus is the one who conquered death, which is the penalty for sin, because he rose from the dead on the third day. So understand that nothing that you and I can do in and of ourselves can save us. It is only through Jesus. Those who received John's message, that is John the Baptist's message, received Jesus and they believed in who he was. Um, we've already encountered this in John 1.12 in the prologue. Um, John, the gospel writer says, to as many as received him, that's Jesus, to them he gave uh, the right to be children of God, even to those who believed on his name. So those who received John's message also received the, um, the message of Jesus and received Jesus as Messiah. I like this uh, couple of verses from uh, the Gospel of Luke. Um, Jesus is commenting on John, on John the Baptist, that is. And he says, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet, 
the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now he says something that shows you that those who receive John's message also were on the right path and would receive Jesus. Luke says in Luke 7, 29, when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice. Another translation has it, they acknowledged that God's way was right, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Guys, it's a package deal. If you believe something, you're gonna do something about it. It's not just mental gymnastics, right? It's not just accepting something in your head and then going along and living your life however you live your life. If you genuinely encounter Jesus, then you're going to encounter the same message that John preached, and that is that you need to repent and you need to have faith. That's the pattern, right? Repent, that is change your thinking, and believe in Jesus as Lord. That's what every person had to do in order to gain eternal life. That's what you have to do in order to gain eternal life. I can't offer you hope in anyone or anything else, but I can tell you that John's message is my message, is this church's message, and the message is for you. And that is, you need to change your thinking and you need to change your ways and you need to put your full faith in the Lord Jesus, no matter what the culture around you is doing. Um. This is what we must do. And you know the, the most famous verse, probably the most famous verse in the Bible that is contained in John. It's John 3.16. You know it? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, or only begotten son, that whoever believe in, believes in him will not perish, but will have what? Eternal life. That's the gift that you receive by receiving Jesus is the gift of eternal life. So once you repent and believe, then you're able to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what John said Jesus came to do. He said, I'm, I'm baptizing you in water. This is muddy water. This is a symbol. But the one that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, here's where that word immerse becomes important. God doesn't want to just give you a little trickle of the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill you up to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And we receive that when we receive Jesus. In fact, if you understand how God's economy, God's communal presence works, it is the Holy Spirit who brings Jesus and the Father into you. He comes in, that is the Holy Spirit enters your life. He fills you up to overflowing. He regenerates, he recreates your spirit within you and brings you as a child of the Father. Listen to what Peter said at the end of the first gospel sermon. This is Acts 2.38. Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for or because of the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 comes at the conclusion of uh, this, this huge event that happened when God poured the Holy Spirit out from heaven and the Holy Spirit appeared as tongues of fire on people's heads. They began speaking in other languages, unknown languages, languages they didn't know, but languages that were understood by everybody. In other words, everybody understood uh, the message that was being preached by them in their own vernacular, in the language. Okay, so... Uh, how many of you in this room are at least bilingual, all right? So 
what is your, your primary language? Here's how you know. The language you dream in is your primary language, right? So, you know, there are people that are, that are polyglots. I mean, they can speak, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven languages or whatever, but the language you dream in, that is your home language. So when, uh, when our, our beloved Miss Mary had her stroke, um, we're still praying for her to return to us. I talked to her a couple of times a week and she's doing better and better. She's still going through a lot of stress and difficulty. But when she had her stroke, it really hit her hard. I mean, really hard. And I came there the day, because uh, she, she'd had the stroke uh, that night. I think it was a Wednesday night. And I, uh, one of her sons informed me that it had happened and told me where, that, where she was. And so I went to the ICU in the room there and she just was not our Miss Mary, right? Um, it really hit her hard. And so she, was, she wasn't really able to speak quite yet, um, but you know, she would say a few things. But her son said that she was speaking Spanish. And so this is when I asked Magdalena, she's in my Wednesday Bible study, if she might uh, go over and visit Miss Mary, because then Miss Mary would be able to converse with someone in Spanish like they normally do in church. And so uh, the day after I went, Magdalena showed up and, and spoke with her. It's obvious Miss Mary is bilingual and bicultural, but it is also obvious when something like that happens, that's her home language, right? That's what she feels most comfortable with. That's the language God speaks to you in, all right? Not the King James English or whatever, unless, you know, you speak in Middle English or something, all right? He wants to speak to you in your native language. And that's what happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out on these people. And uh, that's what God continues to do today, all right? Um, and here it is. John also clearly taught that Jesus would baptize not in water, but in the Holy Spirit. And here's uh, the passage from John. This is John 1, and 34. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the son of God. Now, if you wanna learn more about that, Pastor Craig is gonna be launching into the, the book of Acts in his Bible study at 9.30. And you're gonna be looking at this initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, because that's in Acts chapter two. So I would encourage you to, uh, to be a part of that. So when you repent and believe in Jesus, you too must be baptized and be open to receive and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the same pattern. So as I said at the beginning, and I'll conclude here, um, I pray that you will respond to this gospel that is being preached today. I pray that you will do what the Lord is clearly teaching you that you must do, right? Repent and believe. If you haven't been baptized, be baptized. Be open to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, that doesn't mean being immersed in the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness, doesn't mean that you're gonna uh, you know, act in a way that is weird, okay? Um, people have various responses and reactions to this filling of the Holy Spirit because you're giving control of yourself to the Lord, right? So, you know, if you go to certain denominations, you will experience people who are overwhelmed with the Spirit and they will be doing things that perhaps would be uncomfortable for you, perhaps wouldn't be appropriate in our current context or congregation. But nonetheless, when you let the Holy Spirit fill you up and overflow you, He's gonna give you everything that you want. I want our church, finally, 
as I said at the beginning, to have a John the Baptist ministry. We preach and teach the gospel and we, we prepare people to receive Jesus. You know, to a great degree, we've kind of been in the wilderness all these years. Even though we've been in this building, it's an, you know, it's an old building in downtown Garland. That, you know, they've been working on it and trying to make it into something. Okay, but we've been in the wilderness for a long time saying, prepare the way for the Lord. Friends, can I just say this? It's time. Amen? It's time. So open yourself up to whatever the Lord wants for you today. Take the next step. Repent. Believe in the name of Jesus. Be baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit. And next, you become a proclaimer of this same gospel. That's the ministry of John the Baptist. And we have, as Pastor Craig pointed out last week, we have the humility of John the Baptist where we say, he must become greater, I must become less. If you would like to give us feedback, uh, you can go to our website, lifewellchurch.com, and you will find uh, on the main page, there's a feedback tab, and you can click that. You can fill out that form. Uh, you can give us feedback. You can ask for prayer requests, all sorts of things like that. I hope that you are able to do this. We have a text service uh, that I use to send out information on our church throughout the week. And uh, basically, all you need to do is text the word LIFEWELL, from your phone to 94000. And if you do that, it'll drop you into that news text list. and You'll get a couple of those texts uh, from us every week.